Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting today from Agreco Studios. Agreco, powering the Permian. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, with my co-host for today, David Blackman, welcoming you to this week's In the Oil Patch radio show. Today, we've got a great show, so you don't want to miss it. Our guest today is Raul LeBlanc, who is Vice President of Energy for IHS Market. But first, I wanted to tell you about our State of Energy, which is happening in Corpus Christi, Texas on September 22nd. It's a luncheon in which our keynote speaker will be Mike Howard, the CEO and president of Howard Energy, and we'll be joined by quite a few different speakers that are very heavy hitters, so you do not want to miss this luncheon. And it will be followed that evening by a mixer, which will be put on for Women's Energy Network of South Texas. And they'll be honoring Judge Barbara Canales, who is a petroleum engineer herself by degree, as well as a current judge in the Corpus Christi area. We do expect it to be a sold-out event for the luncheon and for the mixer, so I encourage you to get tickets now. So for more information, go to shale, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Again, that's shalemag.com to get your tickets, sponsor the event, and we will see you there. I'd also like to talk to you quickly about TEAK. That's Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, the Energy Chamber, better known as. We encourage you to join if you want to attend some of the mixers that they're putting on, get involved and engage in advocacy for oil and gas. This is the chamber you want to join. For more information, go to txenergyadvocates.org. And now let me welcome on my co-host for today, David Blackman. David, how are you doing today? Just great. It's another beautiful day in Texas. It sure is. So, you know, I didn't introduce you as the editor of Shell Magazine because you kind of also have turned into our co-host for most of the year. So we're excited to have you in that role, too. Tell me quickly what's going on with Shell. Who do you have on the cover? Well, our next issue will, will be Mike Howard of Howard Energy, the CEO and founder of Howard Energy, uh, which was founded in 2010, a major midstream company here in Texas and really all over the country that is gathering systems and storage facilities uh, at three different ports in Texas. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's just a, a, a fantastic company and a great story here. Um, in the midst of this big crisis, we'll be talking to him about his business, uh, his personal life to some extent, and uh, also how he has been coping, the strategies he's had to employ to cope with the COVID pandemic and all the uh, restrictions that have come along with it. Excellent. Well, I know he is scheduled in a couple of weeks to come on the show as well to discuss a few other items. But uh, I'm excited because uh, Shale has got, once again, now a midstream company. So it's good that, you know, there's coverage in the upstream part and then, of course, the midstream part. And you're right, a great company um, making historic things happen. I, I believe that they are the only pipeline company that actually was the first one to be permitted to allow a pipeline to go international from South Texas into Mexico and deliver uh, natural gas. That's an exciting uh, company there. Let's talk about uh, what everybody is uh, discussing at the water cooler, if you will, or at their uh, 
you know, favorite watering hole for coffee, Starbucks. We had a big thing happen with oil prices. First, they went up early in the week, and then they dropped off uh, after the EIA reported big inventory increases. And I guess my question is what's happening here, and, and, and why did they not know about these big increases? If so, what triggered the big increases? <laughs> well, that's what kind of boggles my mind, too. I, You're right. I mean, we did go up early in the week on all the positive economic news and uh, rebound in, in crude demand globally. Um, and then it, uh, along about Wednesday and Thursday, the price dropped by 8 to 10 percent. Um, because we had this big storage increase reported by by the EIA. And I'm like you, I don't frankly understand why the market didn't already have this increase priced in, because what's causing the increase is the arrival at our shores of, of all those big crude tankers filled with Saudi Arabian oil that was produced in March and April when Saudi Arabia and Russia just a few months ago, we're flooding the market with oil. Right, which we and talked about talked it about numerous it. times on the show. Oh my God, yeah, we, we knew it was coming. About it, about <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, we knew it was coming. It's kind of phenomenal to me that uh, all the traders didn't know, but so we lost three dollars on the three. Price. That's why the and traders should be listening to our show. <laughs> I guess so. I, I, it's just, it's just almost unimaginable to me that 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 wasn't already priced in, but obviously it wasn't. So. There we are. I think it's a temporary kind of blip on the screen, and we'll get some positive storage reports in the coming weeks, and the price will go back up. There you go. Okay. Well, I guess time will tell. Let's switch gears, talk about one of our regular guests and a partner to uh, in the Oil Patch Radio Show, Carr Ingham, who is with the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. He published his regular Texas Petro Index for economic indicators this week. Predictably, it showed he had a, you know, he's reporting we had big losses in oil and gas related to jobs during March and April. Um, what are these numbers? What do they look like in the in his index? Yeah, it's sad, uh, but you know, it, it's it's obvious that in March and April uh, the industry did have a lot of layoffs. Uh, yeah. Car estimates that I believe this is for the upstream sector of the business only. Okay. Um, that it was uh, 25,800 jobs lost in Texas. Wow. doesn't include the, the service part, mm-hmm. service providers like Halliburton and Schlumberger, which also had major layoffs. They had layoffs huge layoffs, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look, you know, when you take in the industry globally and look at, at all the various sectors of the industry, that number is really even much higher than that. So it's it's a sad story, um, and uh, it's not temporary. I think we're, you know, and obviously in May, we had uh, the major oil companies uh, start announcing their own layoffs. Shell, BP, mm-hmm. uh, Chevron, ExxonMobil is the only one still holding out and not ha- uh, announcing a, uh, a company-wide layoff yet. But um, so, so that number, you know, will only be bigger in, in cars next next report and. Um, I expect it to continue to grow larger here over the next several months. Not good for the state of Texas, that's for sure. We had a decision in Arlington City Council that denied a drilling permit for a French major total this week. Why do you think that happened? And and why is City Council getting involved in what the (laughs) 
RRC, the Texas Railroad Commission, is supposed to be doing? Are we having another go-round with another city municipality that doesn't understand the legislators passed you know, well, laws that pro- prohibit them from doing anything that would take away revenue from the state in the way in the area of oil and gas drilling. Well, you know, you have to understand that this is in in the middle of a major city, um, and these cities do have surface uh, the ability to regulate what happens above the surface in their community, and uh, and so these these permits that are within city limits do have to be approved by local city councils. Um, this particular permit, I have to be honest with you, I don't even understand why Total would have even applied for this permit at this period of Who time. Who drills in the middle of a big city, though, too? I mean, you know, you well, just don't right. see that. And, and, Yeah, and, and, you know, this isn't 2000 anymore, you know, when Chesapeake and Devon Energy and all those producers were going in, drilling all these wells all over Fort Worth and Arlington and these other cities. You know, we're in 2020. This permit would have been this well would have been in the middle of a largely minority neighborhood within a few hundred feet of a daycare center. It's just mind-boggling to me that any company at this moment in time in the United States of America would even apply for this permit. To be honest with you, and I'm the most pro oil and gas guy in the world, right? I mean, you know me. I'm just a strong advocate for this industry. Mm-hmm. But these companies need to exercise a little judgment here. I, I just, frankly, disturbing to me that that permit was even applied for, and I, I'm picking on Total here. A lot of other companies do similar things. I mean, we had a company in England a few years ago wanting to drill a well in the middle of Sherwood Forest, for crying out loud. Oh. You know, these, these kind of things are, are, are just things the industry does to shoot itself in the foot. And I just, you know, times have changed, and I think the industry has to change with them. And it's not, you know, the days of drilling these Barnett Shell wells in the middle of the city of Arlington are basically over, folks, and and we all need to realize that. Right. Well, I mean, you just have so much environmental discussion going on um, and clashes and, you know, opposition. You're right. I don't have a clue as to why somebody would want to be in the middle of a major city versus, you know, you look at the patches out in, you know, rural areas and, and they've got their hands full enough with just dealing with those folks. You're yeah. taking it into a liberal city where you're going to for sure have pushback. And uh, I don't think any North American operators probably would have, you know, I would hope that they would know better. But, you know, it could be that they're from, you know, it's a French company, so maybe they uh, didn't think it all the way through. And with that, David, that is all the time we have for questions and answers. When we return from break, we will be joined by our guest, Raul LeBlanc, who is the Vice President of Energy for IHS Market. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi, folks. Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. 
Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our free business snapshot that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now. 210-240-7188 or go to shalemag.com slash business snapshot. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G dot com slash business snapshot. Start dealing with a company you can trust and will always be there for you. And now, David, it's time for us to bring on our guest, Raul LeBlanc, Vice President of North America Unconventionals with IHS Market. Raul, are you there? I'm here. Well, thank you for joining us on today's show. We're very excited to have IHS Market. It's a, a great organization, and, and I'm going to allow you to uh, introduce us to IHS Market here in a minute. But you have such a really amazing bio, so I felt it was right to just kind of talk a little bit about your expertise so our listeners know what a great treat it is today to have you on our show. So you have focused in oil and gas and also uh, data analytics for quite some time, your role with IHS Market is uh, directing research and forecasting for onshore for North America for mostly executives and investors. But you also are a veteran to the energy industry with over 25 years in strategic and industry analysis. And then, of course, you also, your education, you have an undergraduate degree from Georgetown University, a master's degree in art in energy and international relations from John Hopkins University of Advanced International Studies in the United States. Have I left anything out, Raul? No, that's 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 pretty much it. I've done a, a, a couple of things. I've been lucky in my life, so I'm uh, very glad to be here. David and I uh, are very happy to have you uh, join us. Uh, before we get started, um, IHS, uh, if you're in the oil and gas industry, you're very familiar with oil and gas but if you're outside oil and gas, maybe you're not too sure on what uh, IHS market is. Would you give us a little bit of an idea of how large and uh, global and what you guys do at uh, IHS market? Sure. So IHS market is uh, quite a large organization now. It's been growing very rapidly over the last uh, 10 to 15 years. So I would say mostly what IHS market does is we are combining a lot of data and data science with research and expertise. That's what we're trying to do is intersect this such that we're getting the best of what the data science can do, right? All the new algorithms, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning. And then we're trying to combine that really with people who have 
experience in a number of sectors. So IHS Market is uh, got a big presence in energy. And when I say energy, it's not just oil and gas. We're across the chain. We're big and downstream. We're huge in uh, power and uh, and renewables, right? We're in uh, LNG. We're in all sorts of things across the energy chain. And then uh, at the same time, we also have uh, a big automotive and transport group. We own Carfax, uh, for example. That's something everybody knows. Uh, but we're in there uh, helping automotive makers. We have a maritime group. So we do a whole bunch of stuff around that. We have uh, a very large chemicals practice. We're taking it all the way down to the molecule level um, of the oil and gas. And then finally, we have a big financial group, which looks at financial markets and uh, performs all sorts of interesting services for them. And we're we're trying to get the synergies between those. Uh, We've got about 14,000 employees uh, in a whole bunch of countries around the globe. You know, I think what, uh, well, David, you know, you jump in here as you see fit. But I think the thing that Shell Magazine and the Oil Patch Radio Show really knows IHS market for are really two things. One is, of course, your your amazing Sarah Week that you guys hold year after year, excluding, of course, the coronavirus that occurred this year. And also the involvement that you guys have in a lot of the charitable organizations in oil and gas and helping them either create a great event or partnering with them to some degree, which you guys are heavily involved, especially in the Houston area. But we were very sad uh, to hear you guys canceled, but uh, like what you guys are doing this far of, okay, we didn't make it in person, but we're seeing a lot of activity coming out of you guys and holding interviews with a lot of the executives to help disseminate the information that we didn't get by the yeah, cancellation. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I'm, I'm going to be doing a, a couple of those interviews. I had what well, I had four panels I was supposed to uh, going to be able to moderate, and I was really looking forward to it. You know, when I have a panel, I like to get people from different parts of the business. And, and so we'll have one, you know, somebody from uh, an executive from, say, E&P land, right? And I also put on there somebody from the service sector. And then we throw in an investment banker, right, or uh, somebody from, you know, uh, one of the big investment houses, the Fidelities, the Wellingtons, the BlackRocks, that's investing money in the sector. Because each one of them has, a, you know, a really different take on things. And Sirius is a great uh, place to bring all those together. And, you know, honestly, it's, it's a bit of a wonder to, to me, even when the tough times we've had in the last uh, three or four years, Sierra Week has grown by, it's almost doubled from what it was five or six years ago. And, and that's largely because, you know, everybody comes because everybody comes, right? I had one executive tell me, this, this meeting saves me $70,000 a year in travel. I thought, wow, that's uh, yeah. but uh, it just means, you know, hey, it literally you is there the who of across who. the hall. It is. It's the who's who of who. Uh, if you can get the uh, Prince of Saudi Arabia to your event, you're, you're doing something right. And that's uh, primarily uh, you guys have a lot of great heavy hitters. And, and they're informative, too. You're right. Uh, you know, the Sarah Week really covers a lot. And the fact that you all offer as well a lot of networking experiences, your Angora pods are just unbelievable. And we have to in media attend a lot of the different events. And right. I'm not going to knock anyone's event, but I do have to say that one of our favorites to attend year after year is Sarah Week because it's just so grand and it's uh, you really get your money's worth of attending 
and you really make great contacts as well and learn a lot of information. But we didn't get you uh, here on the show, hopefully, to talk about you know all the great things you guys are doing, but really get into getting some expertise advice and uh, getting some questions, answers that we know our listeners have. When we return from break, David and I have a lot of questions for you. First one will be starting off on uh, WTI and the price and uh, where you guys think oil is going in recovery. But you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. I'm Tracy Bentley, the CEO President of the Permian Strategic Partnership, an alliance of 19 energy companies located in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico. For the first time in history, our companies have come together with one goal in mind, supporting our community. In 2019, our first full year of existence, we committed more than $30 million to support six major initiatives, built partnerships with dozens of community stakeholders, and helped secure an additional $1 billion in state and federal funding for roadway improvements in the Permian Basin. By partnering with local leaders, we will continue to work hard to make roads safer, improve schools, upgrade health care, increase affordable housing, and train the next generation of workers. Because we don't just work here, we live here, and neighbors are supposed to help each other out. For more information, go to permianpartnership.org. Permian partnership.org. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Raul LeBlanc, Vice President of North America Conventionals for IHS Market. Raul, we had a discussion about um, IHS Market, Y'all Sarah Week. I want to switch gears and really get into what you guys do well, which is pulling analysis together, uh, expert opinion, expert subject matter, and talking about oil and gas. So we've seen a report from the EIA estimating that U.S. production for April may have fallen by as much as 1.3 million barrels per day. Yet, the Texas Railroad Commission reports in March production in Texas alone was down by 700 barrels. That would imply a drop of 2 million barrels nationally. Does IHS market have a view on how much daily supply has been lost this far? Sure, uh, we do. Uh, let me explain a little bit uh, k- kind of what's going on. It's tricky because uh, there are two two things that are going on, So, and they're both at work now, and then that's going to change as we move through the year. So what do I mean? What I mean is when you think about oil supply, remember, of course, that uh, oil supply is composed of wells from long ago. We have wells from the 50s that are still on production, right? And right. we have wells from, from last year that just started up or a couple of months ago. So the existing well bores, there's two reasons, as I say, that production will fall. Number one is I shut in existing well bores, or we call that curtailment. 
So in other words, I got a bunch of wells. They've been flowing. Some are old, some are young, but I've already spent the money to drill them and frack them, and now they're coming on. They're producing. I may shut in those wells. Now, why would on earth would I do that? I have an asset. It's already sort of, uh, you know, uh, paid. It's like building a house that I'm going to rent and then not renting it, right? So what's going on here? What's going on is that the price may get so low that you don't even cover your operating costs, okay? So, and that's what happened when the price fell down to $10 or or there was one day it closed negative, but kind of ignore that. So the first reason is companies are saying, hey, I'm literally losing money, right? I'm getting $10 in revenue, but uh, my costs are 14 okay? So that's a losing proposition. I'm going to shut this thing and try to save money on my operating costs. That's the first reason. The second reason that people shut in these uh, wells was that they uh, didn't have a buyer. Right, So there was a point here, particularly in April, when the refiners were saying, hey, guys, we don't have – end users are not buying gasoline, right? People are not driving, and so we're not selling any gasoline, so we don't want to refine anymore, so we're not going to buy crude oil. So if I'm not buying it and you're a producer, you're, you know, uh, Jim Bob Oil Company, you don't have anybody to sell to. And if you don't have a place to store it and you don't have anybody to sell to – you can't produce it because there's literally no place to put it. That's the second reason to shut in. The third reason would be that we have uh, people making strategic decisions. They say, and I think there's a couple of big companies that are examples of this. They say, hey, you know what? I could sell it for 15 20 even $30, but you know what? That's not a great price, right? So I have this well. I know it's only got you know, 500,000 barrels total it's ever going to produce. Do I really want to sell some of that, some of those reserves into this terrible market? I would rather wait and shut it in, and then when the market comes back, I'll bring it back on, and I'll make enough extra at that later time to compensate me for delaying my revenue and cash flow now. So those are the three reasons people are shutting in wells, and that is happening. It's been the biggest factor in the last, say, month or two. And, uh, you know, in our estimates, we think eventually about by the end of June this month, about 1.75 million barrels a day will have been shut in in the U.S. Now, by the way, I'll just throw out something internationally. Uh, other people are shutting in in other parts of the world too. Canada has a lot of shut-ins. Okay, Canada is probably yeah. up to seven hundred thousand barrels a day. So it's a big number as well. So those are shut-ins. The deal is when you think about those, remember they come back. So the price pop has popped back up, right? It's now thirty-six dollars today. Well, that pretty much covers everybody's fixed and variable costs. So uh, you have a positive margin. Uh, there's uh, an, an increasing ability to store the oil, the, the supply, the storage crunch is kind of eased. And so in general, we have a situation where those two factors are kind of gone. So when you think about the reasons that production is falling, one of them is shut in, but that is going to mend itself. We think by the fall, pretty much all the shut-in barrels are back. And Raul, at that point, is that an opportunity or do you believe this will be a moment in which 
you'll see all of these wells coming back online. We're, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to get back on this question you're listening to in the Wall Patch Radio Show. We're back. You're listening to in the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Raul LeBlanc, Vice President of North America Unconventionals for IHS Market. Raul, before the break, you know, David and I were inquiring on the estimated drop that we've seen from EIA, and do you does IHS Market agree with it? You were discussing the shut-in, but there's another part that also is a part of the answer. Uh, from IHS market or from from you guys. Uh, Continue on. Tell us what is the second part of the problem for energy of why it's dropped off. Yeah, the second part is is in some ways more interesting and and more long-term. So put aside the the shut-in of the existing wells. The other thing is remember that oil is a wasting asset, right? That means that every day when you go out and check the well that you drilled, it's down. Okay, and so as a result, our base of production is relentlessly falling. It's just natural. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. There's nothing you can do about it, and you just live with it. And so, but the way to get around that, and what companies have done for the last 150 years, every company is involved in this every day, is they drill new wells, right? So the existing wells are all, uh, you know, declining. And I have to drill new wells even just to stay still. So, you know, the analogy I like to use is a treadmill. So we're on a treadmill uh, here. We're walking, right? So we've got to take steps just to stay still, right, just to, 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 uh, to, to uh, be able to keep up with the treadmill. Now, a couple of things are interesting here. Um, the, the thing that allows the companies to drill new wells is, of course, money. And when the price falls down so hard, the money that's available for these companies to spend on these new wells, it's evaporated. I mean, it has been obliterated. It's their cash flows, which is what what does this, right? So they sell the oil, right? People buy it and they turn to gasoline and that sell it and they get money. Those are cash flows. And they take those cash flows and they turn around and they say, well, I better drill a bunch of new wells so I can keep up my production, right? Maintain it or... Maybe I can uh, uh, even grow my production. Great. Fine. But when your cash flows come down so hard, you don't have any money. That's what's causing everybody to say, I, I give up my drilling rig. I give up my frat crew. I can't do anything new. And what happens then is that that base of wells is coming down. And i got to tell you, in the United States, it's coming down hard. The United States was able to grow. We were the wonder of the world. By the way, factoid here, you can use it at a cocktail party. In 2018, the United States of America grew its oil production more than any country in any years in 150 years of oil. Okay. So we've been expanding explosively. We've been growing like crazy due to the shale revolution. But the flip side of that is that we have a very, very steep base decline. In other words, our treadmill is going super fast. I mean, super fast. It's going five or six times faster than any other petroleum system in the world. So as a result, when you stop running, right, you stop drilling new wells, you fly off the back. And that's what's happening right now. So when I look at, to recap here, if I look at the 
decline that we expect in production by the end of this year, kind of the middle of, of next year. We expect production to fall by about 2.9 million barrels a day. Is that a lot? Well, we started at about 12.8, okay? So we're basically heading down to about 10 million barrels a day, okay? And so we're going to go to 10 million barrels a day, and of that, only a little bit is due to shut-ins. Almost all of it is due to the fact that we are not drilling new wells and that natural decline is just eating us up right now. So that's where we are. If the money comes back, we can start growing it again. But until that happens, this base decline is taking over. Well, let's talk about next then. I think the follow-on question to that is how rapidly does it come back when it starts coming back? And to what level do we, we ultimately get to? Because as you mentioned, you know, the, the lack of access to capital is, is a growing, still growing problem for this industry. And it's kind of hard to see how that problem gets, gets resolved in a major way. One of the wonderful things about our base decline, the, the terrible thing is it's very, very rapid right now. The good news is that base decline itself tends to shallow out pretty quickly. Right. So, uh, you know, it's about 37% this year. Next year, it's only about, you know, uh, less than uh, less than 30%, yeah, closer to 25. Right. So the point is, by, you know, losing so much production this year, we actually set ourselves up for more stable kind of environment. And the, the thing that's been the most interesting when you start to say, okay, let's say we, we, you know, we hit the ground, right, we fall down, what can we do to get up? And the deal is uh, it takes money to do that. Uh, we'll have less money. Now, but even if the price comes back, you point out an interesting thing, which is in the past, U.S. companies would have taken that incremental dollar and used all of it to drill new wells. Nowadays, shareholders are saying, hey, we don't want you to drill a whole bunch of new wells. Instead, we want you to give some of that money back to us. In other words, grow less, right? Reinvest less in wells in the ground and instead give us money back directly by a share buyback or repay your debt or, or give us a dividend. Yeah. And so what you're going to get as prices come back is a kind of uh, diversion of a bunch of that incremental money that's come in the system as prices rise. And uh, that is going to put the U.S. on a pretty slow growth trajectory more profitable, which is good for investors, or it's what they want, uh, but slower growth, yeah. And that's really interesting because it also changes, starts to change the global dynamic, yeah. Uh, the U.S. has been glutting the market, frankly, for the last several years, and if the U.S. slows down its growth and doesn't glut the market, that kind of, kind of changes things, and we may be setting ourselves up for a kind of a, uh, a tighter market down the road as we don't invest much. This is a broad theme of decapitalization. You know, Raul, um, when we come back from break, I think, you know, you, you bring up a good point, which has been a discussion that David and I have had many times on why is Wall Street really not investing anymore? And a lot of it was mm. they were not receiving. They weren't very disciplined, the North America shell producers, and um, it has come at a price to them. But maybe there's also a, a little bit of a silver lining, which is a little bit more discipline might come from that. In, in the effort of time and so much with the show coming up on our last segment, I want to try to 
get into COVID-19. So let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923. And visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. And we're back. You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Raul LeBlanc, Vice President of North America Unconventionals with IHS Market. Raul, before the break, we were having uh, discussions on have the North America shell producers been uh, very disciplined. David and I have had many discussions on the show uh, prior to that. And David, I think you have uh, leading into another question. It's kind of changing and pivoting that question just a little bit. Yeah, so so, uh, Russia's oil minister last week said that his country believes the market will essentially be rebalanced by the end of July. Um, and I'm just curious, what, what is IHS's view of the, the size of the current glut globally on the market and, and when, we, when IHS thinks it might actually be rebalanced given all the reductions in supply we have going on right now? Right. Well, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, the market's been through. We're moving into uh, a, a bit of the uh, the second phase, right? So, actually, the third phase, if you will. The first phase was demand just collapsed and and supply kept going, and you, you saw it's kind of kind of where that went to, right? Okay. The second one was a supply reaction. In other words, the lack of demand fed through the chain back to that, and you had two kinds of of cuts. So reductions in supply. And so that was number one. You had the economics ones, right? And two, you had the political ones by the OPEC plus group. Uh, and really, uh, we also feel that uh, by the third quarter, basically by July, I think, I think uh, he, he's right. Our balances are suggesting, too, that supply will have gone down uh, and, and reached its bottom. At the same time, demand is up, right? So we have demand uh, has risen, we think, in May, our best number for May, still uh, an estimate, is uh, that it was up about 7 million barrels a day from April. Okay. Now, it's still awful, okay? It's still <laughs> 21 million barrels below, uh, uh, you know, 21% roughly below where it was a year before. Nevertheless, demand is on its way up and supply is still coming down. So on the face of it, you think, oh, this is good. This is going to lead to a, you know, a more balanced market. Unfortunately, remember, though, that we put in hundreds of millions of barrels into storage. Okay. Right. Uh, there are right. whole, you know, fleets of ships out there. And until we integrate that and integrate all the spare capacity, it doesn't necessarily mean the market is going to stay very balanced. 
So then at $36 a barrel roll, WTI, um, and given the magnitude of what you just said, the glut, how long do you guys think it will be before it actually recovers? I know you said it's going to probably stay this way for a while, but are we looking at, because I know I've had a few individuals contact me and say, are we looking at just a couple of months down the road? Are we looking at a couple of years down the road? And I'm like, I don't know if anybody can forecast that far down the road. But well, we can forecast. It doesn't mean we're right, but we can Well, yeah, <laughs> we can get. <laughs> how long do you think it is before we really yeah. see a really good so return. we think it's we think it's to, to work off, and you have to work off the inventory overhang, and you need to bring back right all those supplies uh, that, that that are currently off uh, from a political standpoint, right? Uh, and uh, and hopefully some are, are are permanently off in terms of a market balance, um, and we think that's a kind of six to eight quarter process. Yeah. So basically, we think the market starts to tighten uh, and work off that balance uh, and that uh, it improves uh, from a fundamental standpoint. That means supply versus demand uh, probably in the the second half of 2021 uh, and moves, you know, above, say, the the $40 range. Uh, And then, you know, by that point, uh, you actually may be setting yourself up for a fairly constructive uh, uh, market in terms of, uh, not enough uh, supply and, and, and demand may be, may be good by that point again. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that actually takes me to another question because we, you know, another thing that's happening here obviously is, is a lot of major projects that have been planned for this year are now being canceled mm-hmm. and delayed. You know, I mean, billions, hundreds of billions of dollars of planned investments mm-hmm. in new oil and gas supplies this year. Uh, are being canceled. And so aren't we really setting us up in a longer term, potentially for, for a situation where we actually have a shortage of, of oil supply once demand does fully recover in a few years? Yeah, it, it, it's a good point. I mean, that's, that's essentially uh, the U.S., if you, you, you stop funding you know, new developments, it falls fast. But the rest of the world falls, too. Uh, and you're making a good point. Uh that you're certainly raising that that possibility, okay, uh, of underinvestment in the long term. So before the COVID-19, we uh, were on track to sanction. This is internationally outside the United States. We were on track to sanction about 2.3 million barrels a day of new projects to be brought on sometime in the future, right? Some of them are two years away, some of them are four years away, some of them are five. But the total of that set of projects, uh, uh, we were going to, pull the trigger on or we're likely to pull the trigger on was about 2.3 2.4 million barrels a day now our actual sanctioning this year is going to be something like you know 0.2 okay so we've yeah. lost uh, by postponing them yeah the projects are still there and they may be brought back in the future but again we're setting ourselves up for a little bit of a hole uh in the future and if the u.s uh, doesn't come in and provide a lot of barrels you're right we could be in a fundamentally tight situation very good well raul uh on behalf of david and myself and and little patch radio show we'd like to thank you for being a guest today on our show and we look forward to having you return thanks for having me everybody tells me i got a great face for radio so i was glad to to get on the show (laughs) (laughs) it's good speaking to you and we look forward to having you back Wow, what a great interview. What an interesting guest. Hey, Kim, I, uh, I have, before we go, I have one question for you. 
It's about the September State of Energy Conference coming up in Corpus Christi, I think on September 22nd, right? Right. Uh, And there's a mixer associated with that. We need to put something in Shell Magazine about it for the next issue. Talk about the the details of that event. I am so excited about this event. We've had so much uh, inquiry because I think everybody is just so tired of being indoors and they're looking to get back to work. So our luncheon will be September 22nd. Uh, We'll have Mike Howard, who's our keynote. Uh, I know we have Sean Strawbridge speaking at this event. We also have uh, Dr. Tom Tunstall. We may have somebody, I believe we have somebody from the Alliance. And we'll also have uh, Brooke Simmons, who is also the newly named president um, for the Oklahoma Association as well joining us. So it's going to be a great event packed with a lot of insightful information at our State of Energy. And then also we'll be doing a Get to Know Win Women's Energy Network of South Texas Mixer that evening in which they will be honoring and, and, and the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition will be honoring Judge Barbara Canales. And man, she's a dynamic, interesting woman. First of all, she sure is. You know, I I couldn't be prouder. She's definitely a petroleum engineer by trade, has done so much for her community, has worked her way up to being a port commissioner. Now she's the highest uh, judge in uh, all of Corpus Christi. Just a dynamic woman. And and did I mention she's a Hispanic woman? So I'm like, this just doesn't get any better. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing her and honoring her because she definitely deserves to be honored for all of her work. Well, David, that is all the time we have. Thank you for joining me for this week's show. And I look forward to having you on next week. And we're going to have another great and dynamic show. Great. I look forward to it. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.